If you are turning with me today, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 14. If you got your Bible, if you're turning with me, if not, we'll have it up on the screen. 1 Samuel 14, and I'm going to start in verse 1. But today I want to talk to you about moments. The moments of life. I want to talk to you about defining moments. Epic moments. We could call them. Um, Psychologists would tell us that you could look back on your life. And for most people, for the average, there will be about five or six what they would call defining moments in your life. These big major things that happened throughout your life that kind of set the course of who you would be or what you would accomplish. or And sometimes it can be a bad moment that set it. Good moment, bad moment, these defining moments, epic moments. Moments that are so big they can change your life. They can change your future. They can change the world. And some people seem to have moments that are so big and so epic, it changes the world. These leaders or these great people or, uh, you know, like a Martin Luther King or somebody that has these moments. And, and we look at those people and say, wow, they changed the course of history. It could change the world. So how is it that some people seem to have these epic, ground-shaking moments where they do the impossible? Moments where they rise out of adversity or we may call them miracle moments. Jesus had a lot of these moments, a lot of miracle moments, a lot of epic wow moments. Some people have these moments all throughout their life and other people just kind of watch life happen. Just sitting back waiting on my moment. Waiting on something to happen. And they watch life go by. You see, the great danger is that you would watch life happen instead of make life happen. That you could sit on the sidelines and watch your life go by, hoping that one day I'm going to do something big. One day I'm going to step out and do something for God. One day I'm going to walk in my purpose. One day I'm... And that... You as an old man or woman would look back over your life and say, well, I never really did anything big. Yeah, I never really stepped out. I I never really had the faith to believe that what God said about me was true. I never seized the moment. I never had that epic moment that you would watch life happen instead of make life happen. Remember the movie Braveheart? It's a great movie. It tells the story of William Wallace, a common man who led Scotland to freedom from English rule with a great sense of destiny. And in that movie, Wallace commands a ragtag band of farmers and villagers. You remember if you've if you've seen the movie, these were just some I'm talking about some ragtags. They had pitchforks and They didn't have really good weapons. It was farmers and villagers to defeat their oppressors, forcing them back to England. 
And the turning point for Scotland comes at the Battle of Stirling. The Scots are vastly outnumbered and begin to flee. They begin to run away because they're scared, and they should be scared. They were outnumbered, out-weaponed, if that's a word. Uh, they were, they should have been scared. There was, like, it was reasonable for them to be scared. And Wallace, William Wallace, rides onto the scene, and he reminds the Scots who they are and what is truly important. He said, I'm William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? And then, you know, that famous line, one of, their, one of the little soldiers answers, No, we will run and we will live. They don't want to die. They're already starting to run away. And, and Wallace replies, Yes, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance? A chance, a moment. Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. God has given you true and glorious eternal freedom. You have no condemnation. Your guilt is gone. Never to be remembered against you again. God intends that you feel forgiven. Your freedom was purchased at an awful price. So act like it, talk like it, pray like it, teach like it, and most of all, love like it. Stop being trapped by fear. Stop running. Seize the moment. Seize the day. Live in your freedom. Make the most of every moment. Fight for peace and love and joy. Fight for hope. It's yours. Jesus said, hey, peace and joy, these things I give you, will you take it? Join the fight for humanity. Let's look at a moment. Remember last week we talked a little bit about how two people can be in the same moment and have very different outcomes. The same situation, the same set of circumstances and can come out much different. 1 Samuel 14, 1. Saul was the king. Philistines were pretty much beating them down at this point. Saul had made a couple of mistakes. He didn't want to wait on God. They, only, they had a few thousand people in their army. And Saul made a mistake. Didn't want to wait on God. And they had gotten whittled down to about 600. The Philistines were strategically taking them out and they went through and killed all the blacksmiths so and took up all the weapons so they took all their swords and all their spears and then they killed all the blacksmiths 
so that the Israelites couldn't make any more weapons. And it was so bad that they even had to like hire the Philistines to sharpen their plows and their gardening tools because they had nobody left that could work with the metal. So the Philistines were just taking them out. That was the first, uh, well, I was about to say gun control. I guess you'd call it weapon control. <laughs> they took all their weapons and took their ability to make weapons from them. So Saul had this army and they didn't have good weapons. And some of the scholars say they probably only had a handful of swords. Saul and Jonathan probably had swords, but most of the army didn't even have a sword. They like sharpened sticks and whatever they could just put together and build. And, and the army had gotten down to about 600 men. There was no way they could win. They were way outnumbered. And a whole bunch of the Israelites jumped ship. They were traitors, deserters. They went and joined the Philistine army. And were fighting against Saul and his own people. And then a whole bunch of the other ones just ran and hid in the hills, in the mountains. They lived in caves because they were so scared. They were so afraid. And his army was whittled down to these just few hundred ragtags left. Barely holding it together and they were scared. Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan... The son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Jonathan, the prince, he told his armor bearer, Let's go. He told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. So Saul's laying there. Saul's stressed out. Saul's scared. He's afraid. And he's up under a pomegranate tree. Now, a couple of reasons he's under the pomegranate tree. One, pomegranate trees are really thick and they have thick limbs. And so they would seek shelter under the pomegranate tree because if bows, if arrows are shot into the air from the bow and arrow, the pomegranate tree was thick enough to where it would, it would stop the arrows. So he's scared. He's hiding up under there in case they start shooting arrows, and he's under there asleep. Um, if you study, do a study on uh, stress behaviors, what people do when they're stressed out, I found out after doing the study that... I can be pretty creative. I, I like to partake of several different ones. There's the eating one. Some people, they get stressed out. They just want to go eat pizza and ice cream and all that, which I can do that one. And there's, uh, what is there? Physical release. So some people just need to get out and punch a punching bag or flip a car or something to release their stress. And then, but one of the um, stress behaviors, they call it hibernation. You just want to sleep. You're stressed out, so they want to sleep all the time. And you wake up, and you get something to eat, and you go straight to the couch. And you sit there, and you just, oh, I've got no energy. I'm so tired. And fear and stress. It's how some people's body tries to deal with it. Paul was let, excuse me. 
Paul, Saul, was laying up under the tree, scared to death. He had 600 men hiding, and they were all afraid, not willing to move forward. I like that line that says, but he told not his father. Why? Because Saul would have talked him out of it. Probably would have forbid him to do it. Hey, Dad, I'm about to run up that hill and get this thing started. He said, oh, no, you're not. You can forget it. You're not going up that hill. Some of y'all need to stop telling everybody. Telling everybody your plans and getting talked out of them. So you're stuck. Every time you're going to seize a moment or step out in faith, you tell a hundred people and they talk you out of it. He only told one dude. He told his armor bearer, Hey, come on. Shh. We're about to do this and we need to do it now before I get scared. If I'm ever hiding, if I come to a place in my life where I'm being led by fear, I hope one of my boys has the courage to run up the hill. And I hope they don't tell me where they're going. If I get to that place, I hope they can see the potential of that moment and of our God. The potential was there for something great. The potential was there for God to work and to do a miracle. And all Saul could see was the fear. The reality, all Saul could see was the hurt that they had been through and the pain and and what they had lost and what was taken away. And Jonathan was still, had the gift of youth or foolishness. To believe that God could save him. And Ahia, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, this was before him and Ferb got together, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, were wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. In the forefront of the one was situate northward over against Mishmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. All right, come on. Now, here's the pep talk. You ready? We're about to do the impossible. Jonathan, you better have a good pep talk worked up to get this young armor bearer who didn't even have his own sword. He just got to carry yours when there was no danger, but when y'all hit the danger, he had to give up the weapon. So now, here's your pep talk to him. It may be, some translations say maybe, 
The Lord will work for us. He might. Maybe. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or few. God can save us if He wants to, and He might. What we're going to do is just run up the hill. Yay. I'm going to go tell your dad. Saul, wake up. Your son's a special kind of genius. Verse 7, And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that's in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. He said, Do what you feel like doing. Seize the moment. When you look over your shoulder, I'm going to be right behind you. Let's do it. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. Worst strategic military plan ever. No, Jonathan, we should probably sneak up on them since there's only two of us and a whole bunch of them. But your, your plan is that we're going to go in between these two rocks and then we're going to show ourselves to them. Let them see us coming. Okay. Good plan. We discover ourselves unto them. And then what? If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them unto our hands. And this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. Hey, buddy, come here. I want to show you something. Come on up here. And Jonathan said unto his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. That was their sign. Jonathan would not be trapped in his father's moment. A lot of times we get trapped in somebody else's moment. Somebody else is hurt. Somebody else is scared. Somebody else is afraid to step out or to run towards what God's calling them to. And we get trapped in somebody else's moment. Man, we'll stay there too. Saul had 600 people trapped in his moment. And one had the courage to say no. To sneak out of the camp and say, I won't be trapped in this moment of fear. I'm going to run up the hill. Jonathan would not be trapped in his father's moment. He knew that he must do something. There's a word for somebody today. And it's what you came for. Here's your word. Just do something. Do something. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm I'm praying and I'm waiting on, I'm praying, do something. 
there's nothing wrong with praying. There's, no, there's a lot, right? We're supposed to pray. You're supposed to seek God. You're supposed to listen for His voice. But then act. Do something. See, a lot of times as Christians, we know just enough Bible to be dangerous. Oh, we're supposed to wait on the Lord. I got six scriptures that say wait on the Lord. We're supposed to wait on the Lord. I've been doing a lot of studying on that. And everywhere the Bible says wait on the Lord. You know, not one time that I have found did God say wait on the Lord because somebody was moving too fast or doing too much. The only time the Bible tells us to wait on the Lord is when they were running in fear. The wait was stop running away, stop moving backwards. That's the only time the Bible says wait on the Lord is when you're giving up your future, we're running away. Out of fear, we're acting out of fear. Wait, don't run away. Do something. How do you know that you're in a divine moment when life is too big for you? When you can't figure it out? When it's going crazy or when it's a good chance? Take a step. Trust God. But if God's with me, shouldn't it be easy? Nope. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, trouble, pain. You're going to have hard things are going to happen. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. I beat it. I've overcome it. And so can you. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like, to follow in his example. It's, it's okay. But no, it's not going to always be easy. It doesn't just mean things are just going to be smooth sailing from here on out. You know the easiest moments of your life will be the least significant moments of your life. The easy moments, they'll be the ones you forget. Nothing major is going to happen. You don't need God to come through in those moments. You don't, nothing. They'll be the least significant moments of your life. So run up the hill. Run up. Over and over. Seize the moment. Believe that you can make a difference. You can't change the whole world. But you can change something. I think it's easy to get overwhelmed if we start thinking about the whole world and all the evil and all the things that need to be changed and everything we need to fight for and stand up for that we get stuck and we don't do anything. We don't stand up for anything because we're in neutral. We get overwhelmed. You can't change everything, but you can change something. You can create a moment and you can fight for your future and for your family's future. You remember when God sent Moses to call the children of Israel out of slavery? They were in slavery for 400 years. 
And when God sent Moses to call them out, you know the story, they came out of Egypt and they came through the desert and the wilderness and they were wandering through the desert for 40 years and God told them, I got a land for you. There's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. I got this land and it's got big fruit. It's your inheritance. And they traveled around and uh, when they came to it, God told them to get 12 spies, one from each of the tribes, and send them into the land to spy it out and, and see if they could bring back some fruit and see if it was a good land, see if it was a big land, see, see what was going on in there. It tells us there in Numbers that the fruit was so big that they had a cluster of grapes. They had to put a pole through the middle of it, and two guys carried it on their shoulders. That's how big the fruit was. That's how big the grapes were. So God was telling the truth. It was some big fruit in the land. God's got grapes for you. God's got a future for you. Some plans for you. He's got fruit. God has a land, an inheritance for you. But you got to do something. You got to do something to get the fruit. You got to do something to get the land. Look at Numbers 13. Numbers 13, 30. So that's that story I was just telling you. The, they come back and they're addressing the people, which was approximately 2 million people by this time and these 12 came back and verse 30 says and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said let us go up at once hey let's go now strike while the iron is hot in other words let's seize the moment let's go now there's fruit there's land it's great there's milk there's honey yeah let's go do it now and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. Don't worry about it. Let's go. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Uh-oh. Here comes the fear. Verse 32. And they brought up an evil report. You know, you can find good or bad in almost everything. You really can. What you train yourself to look for. You can find great things in the world and you can find bad things in the world. Really what you're looking for. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched out unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. That's what fear does. It starts to exaggerate. and It's a land that just swallows people up. It's everybody in there was of great stature. All the men that we saw were huge. Were they all? Everyone? No. 
fear will start to exaggerate. Verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. It's in your mind. So much of it is right here. How you see yourself. It matters so much. A hundred bad days makes a hundred good stories. Y'all heard that song? I love that line. It it sings, a hundred bad days makes a hundred good stories. A hundred good stories makes me interesting at parties. Cool song. (laughs) It was in their mind. There are good things in the world. And there's bad things in the world. And what you look for, you're probably going to find. What you're seeking for, you're going to find. Matthew 7. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Seek and you'll find, good or bad. You seek it hard enough, you're going to find it. Seek and you'll find, knocking the door will be opened. What doors are you knocking on? Can I tell you that the fight for your future is more internal than external? As you fight for the future that God has for you and you fight for the land and you fight for the fruit, it's in here. It's in here. That, that, very, that last verse that we just read, we see ourselves as grasshoppers and so they do too. And so that's what we are. The problem is your self-perception. The way you see yourself. If you have a grasshopper mentality, if that's how you see yourself, then everyone else will too. And you'll die in the wilderness. You know those ten that had that bad report and they saw themselves as grasshoppers? They never made it into the land. They died. Caleb and Joshua, they got to go in. It wasn't about age or about being the old dudes because some of the old dudes, they still got to go in. And take their land and watch their kids grow up in the land and eat of the fruit and take their mountain. At 85 years old, Caleb still was fighting, taking his mountain. I'm as good now as I ever was. But you'll die in the wilderness. You know, losing a job won't keep you from your future. But the way you see yourself after losing the job, that can keep you from your future. Going through a divorce won't keep you from your future. 
But the way you see yourself after the divorce, that can keep you from your future. Now, having some of your kids grow up and become teenagers and go buck wild and do things that you didn't train them, you, I taught them better than that. That won't keep you from your future. But the way you see yourself after that, I'm a failure. I'm not a good parent. I'm not the, that will keep you from walking in the future. If you see yourself as a grasshopper, then other people start seeing you as a grasshopper. You won't have the confidence to run up the hill. And you'll forget who you are. You're sons and daughters of God. Ephesians 5.16 NIV says making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The King James says um, redeeming the time. Making the most of every opportunity or redeeming the time seizing the moment. Like Caleb was trying to get the children of Israel to do. Now, let's go. Take it now. Believe what God said. Believe that what He said is true, that the land is ours, the fruit is ours. Let's go. Let's not stand here and discuss why we can't or what odds are stacked against us. Let's go now. Let's run up the hill. Fight for your future. The future doesn't happen to you. It happens through you. Don't just feel like you're just sitting there waiting on stuff to happen and hit. It happens through you. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Me and my house are going to serve the Lord. When I say fight for your future... A lot of times we think about natural fighting, punching, punching somebody in the face. But fighting is discipline. You know what fighting for your future looks like? A lot of the time it looks like faithfulness. It looks like doing what you're supposed to do and being faithful looks like making a decision to get up and go to church when you don't feel like it. It looks like, oh, he's going to love this. RJ, will you stand up for a second? I told y'all he's going to love it. His wife's out of town serving. You see this guy right here? This is my brother, my friend, my brother-in-law. He's married to my sister. RJ's fighting for his future. RJ's faithful. There aren't very many people in my life that I could say what I'm about to say about him. He serves 
physically. Every opportunity he gets, he's out here doing yard work. He's preparing ball fields for tournaments. He's getting the lodge ready for kids' camps and youth camps. Then he's serving in the kids' camps and the youth camps. Every single Sunday, more than 10% of his income gets put in this offering plate. He serves in ministry. His wife serves in ministry. They're raising their daughter up to see that it's important that they're in church every week. They change things so that they can be here. They give and serve and love. And RJ leads his family as a godly man. You you can sit back down, RJ. (laughs) That's what fighting for your future looks like. And not only is he fighting for his future, but he's fighting for the future of Zaley, his daughter. And she can look at his life and say, I see what's important to my dad. See what's important to him. See, in some situations, RJ is Jonathan choosing to run up the hill. And then in other situations, I can't tell you how many times I've said some crazy dream or vision and looked over my shoulder and RJ was the armor bearer right behind me. Do what's in your heart, I got you. I've seen RJ be both. That's fighting for your future. That's seizing the moment. That's not letting fear take over because there's a land that we need to take. Y'all remember that movie? uh, I thought about it this morning when I was just thinking about this and praying. Remember that old movie with uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, Far and Away, I think it's called? Where the Irish settlers, they're coming in and, and it's such a cool idea. Like it's just stuck in my mind. It's been years since I've seen that movie. But that... They would come in, and early that next morning, they would take off, and whoever made it to the plot of land, and I guess stuck their flag or pulled their flag or some way, they would then claim that piece of land. And so there's this scene where Tom Cruise is one of the settlers, and he's shown up, and they're all going to be riding horses. And so he's, like, trying to buy a horse, doesn't really know how to ride a horse, and goes to the stable, like, I got to get me a horse so I can go get my land tomorrow, get my inheritance. Get, and, and the guy shows him this wild stallion that's just stomping and kicking and snorting, around, and, and he's terrified of it. And then he says, you got anything else? You got another horse? And, and the guy's like, well, I got this one over here, and he's gentle and calm and a deadhead. And this thing's just standing over there like with his back all sagging down and you can tell he can't run. Or, and So Tom Cruise chooses the old gentle horse. All right, I'll take that one because he's so scared of the wild stallion. And the next morning he gets up early and goes out because it's a race. Whoever gets to the land went and he goes out there and that old horse is just laying there dead. And there's an old man walking by and he says, that there was the oldest horse I ever did see. How many of us choose the dead horse because we're afraid of the wild stallion? How many of us choose to lay up under a pomegranate tree because there's at least some safety under there and I, 
you know, at least I up under here, they can't shoot me with arrows. Nothing's going to hit me that I can't see coming. And so I'm going to just set myself up in my life to where I can be comfortable and I'm going to try to create as many easy moments as I can. And at least maybe I won't win and maybe I'm not advancing or gaining ground for the kingdom. And you know what? Maybe I'm not walking in my purpose, but at least I'm safe and I'm comfortable and I'll last as long as I can here. How many of us choose the dead horse? or the safety because we're afraid of the wild stallion. We're afraid of what might happen if we were to step out. What if we run up the hill? And I wish I could tell you that every time I've run up the hill, I've won. Perhaps God will be with us. There have been times I've run up the hill and lost. But you can't let that stop you from running up the hill again. Seize the moment. Run up the hill. It's one thing I know is that if you will keep stepping into moments, they will create momentum. You keep stepping into moments. You keep creating the future. Remember the hope for the future. You look into the future. You have a hope, a dream, a plan from God, and then you create it. And once that hope is realized, you get a new hope for the future and you keep stepping into the moment. You refuse to let fear trap you. I wanted to say a whole lot more and finish out that story. But I think we're good for today. We may be back on the same train of thought next week. Seize the moment. Choose the wild stallion. Make the most of every opportunity that you have. God's got big things for you. If you'll step into it, fight for your future. Fight for your family. Fight for peace and love and joy. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the passion that you displayed. So much so that a moment of time is known as the passion of Christ. We can look at that and see what you're passionate about. You're passionate about us and having a relationship with us. You're passionate about your kids and your family. So much so that you were willing to die. To sacrifice your only son. To fix what we messed up. So that we could be in relationship with you. Wow, thank you. God, give us that same kind of passion. That no matter what happens, it's worth it. God, light us on fire with a passion for you. God, make us uncomfortable. 
with just sitting still. Let us be uncomfortable with neutral. Help us to step out in faith. God, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.